Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions, Lynette's live submissions event. Yeah, And congratulations, you are now officially part of it. Today's theme is thrillers from spy stories on action adventure romps in exact exotic locales to courtroom dramas and political intrigue. The thriller genre is all about keeping your readers in suspense. Writing, as you've heard me say so many times, is all about emotion. Your success as a writer depends on your ability to evoke deep emotions in your readers. The thriller genre gives you a huge opportunity to do exactly that. So let's see how well today's authors manage to do it. Here to help me judge today's submissions are... Tech entrepreneur and bibliophile, it's Ben Fox. And from England's West Country, it's the entirely fabulous Kaylee Finn. Now, it really is the last day of the month today. I got it wrong last week, but it is the 31st right now, which means we're looking to announce this month's overall winner in just a few months, uh, minutes' time. What a commanding lead of 78 points. It's Simon Nagel at the top of the leaderboard with Gates to Nowhere, which I, th I think we all thought was a completely transfixing tale of a lone mortician in New Mexico with some rather unusual clients. Next few minutes will reveal whether Simon's going to achieve monthly victory or whether one of today's authors will prize that crown from him. And here's how you can take part. Um, on uh, YouTube, of course, you can just post a comment in the uh, live chat room right now. We'll pick that up on Facebook. Same thing applies. If you're watching us live, post a comment. If you're watching on uh, Twitter, which, you, which we've just started to do very recently, you've got to use a hashtag, otherwise we won't find it. Hashtag Litopia. All right. So now, let battle commence. And here we are, submission number one. It's called Starfish. It's adventure slash thriller, and it's from Ryan. Let me read you Ryan's blurb. An ancient shipwreck with a strange cargo. A missing nuclear submarine. Seismic tremors fracturing the Western Antarctic ice sheet. They all have two things in common. A man named Ethan Kane and the fate of the entire world. Let me tell you about Ryan. Ryan grew up in Maine. Actually, Ryan, this is your second submission, isn't it? Thank you very much for, for doing that. Appreciate it. Increasing numbers of people do send us uh, second, third submissions and so on. Obviously, you're finding it useful. Uh, Ryan grew up in Maine, went to the University of Hawaii, where he worked as a scuba instructor and studied history. This is quite a, a CV, actually, Ryan. After graduating, he joined the U.S. Navy and became a helicopter pilot. Ryan served 15 years commanding tactical law enforcement teams throughout Central and South America, combating transnational organized crime, drug cartels, and human trafficking. Sounds like a character out of Lee Child, really. Uh, Ryan sustained a career-ending inju career injury during an emergency landing that removed him from flight status. He continues working for the Department of Defense, managing prototype aircraft development contracts. He holds a master's degree in history from Ashland University. Ryan lives in Maryland with his wife and son, Ethan. That's another good uh, thrill name, actually. And I tell you what, we've got a fabulous reading to start us off the way we mean to continue from Emily. 
Starfish by Ryan Read by Emily Prologue Mary Birdland, Antarctica Alpha Mode Failure Also known as the meltdown of a nuclear reactor's core, this type of failure is analogous to the final throes of hypothermia, where, counter to intuition, death results from excess heat. Vasoconstriction of the blood vessels reaches maximum exertion during the body's fight to keep warm, easing their grip. The last burst of hot blood floods the extremities from the body's infernal alamo. The result is a phenomenon known as paradoxical undressing, where the victim often removes their clothing due to the sensation of overheating. She hadn't removed her clothes yet. She fell hard. Not the catch-yourself-with-your-arms kind of fall. Her head smacked the ice and she damn near passed out. One false step out here and she'd be dead. With the sun anchored on the horizon, it was summer in Antarctica, but even the 24-7 sunlight couldn't thaw her frigid core. The wind never ceased. It kicked up to 35 knots and toppled her over at the shins along the whipped meringue of Sastrugi. Shaped by the relentless artists of wind and snow, frozen solid as rock, rippling the endless barren landscape like the waves of a tidal basin. Her heavy gloved hand desperately tried to find the dexterity to lift herself off the Sastruga. She wore red, fur-lined parka, standard-issue Antarctic program outerwear. The Australian flag's colours peeked through the relentless snowflakes. The name tape across the breast was not her own. It read, Ethan Kane. Hood on and cinched tight, her face was engulfed by a thick mask and goggles, encrusted in ice from the humidity of her hibernal breath. The temperature plummeted to 25 below zero. They called this type of storm a Con 1, whiteout. She reached for her left hand, pawing with ineffectual strokes, finally removing the glove. As the seal broke around the wrist, the parasitic temperature set her arm aflame with a divergent sensation, sapping her body of its most indispensable quality in this forsaken place, warmth. And with warmth went everything else. The chill penetrated to the bone and terrified her, a visceral fear she'd never experienced before, but that would soon be forgotten when she saw her hand black. From the fingertips to the palm. Frostbite. It only took a minute or two at these temperatures before any exposed skin would burn. Her mind dragged her down a rabbit hole of a panic. I'm going to die out here. He's probably already dead. Or was he? She couldn't go any further. Muscles weak from marching, body out of fuel from burning every bit of energy stored in the liver, trying to keep heat. The body prioritises survival restricting blood flow to the periphery regions first. The fingers and toes, the limbs, the joints. She'd been walking for the finished twelve hours. But this would be it. She'd perish here, and she couldn't imagine the faces of friends and family at her funeral, peering into an empty casket, erased. Nobody even knows I'm out here. She scratched away the crusted ice amassing over her ski goggles, enough to see through a quarter-sized hole. She pulled up the cuff of her parka to reveal an oversized smartwatch, still functioning, heated against her tepid skin. The screen and bezel of the Sunto 9, barely visible, pointed a triangular arrow ahead of her and to the right. The battery alert blinked, a steady reminder. Twenty hours. Twenty hours of life remaining. Without the navigational guidance of the watch, it was only a matter of irony. Time. She was trapped in a snow globe, a blurred false horizon. Nothing. The blizzard covered her tracks just steps after imprinting them, 
For all she could sense, her heavy feet walked in a circle, a slow, agonising spiral of death, bleeding her dry one degree at a time, one doubt at a time. Maybe there was a pinhole in my glove somewhere. Maybe it ripped open on one of my other falls. In one's moment of weakness, the Antarctic seemed to enjoy torture. A whisper of merciless wind held her down. Convinced her even. She couldn't do it. There was no use. Too much further to go. It was impossible, the wind told her. Fantastic reading. Thank you, Emily. Very stylish. Emily, of course, is the house mother, basically, to all our narrators, and she certainly knows how to do it. Um, so, general reaction from the Genius Room is pretty positive, actually. Uh, there we go. Got a comment from Emily straight away saying, I enjoyed reading this. It had a good rhythm, and I definitely felt a sense of panic in these first few pages. Yeah, and that's what we want, isn't it? Definitely. Um, interesting blurb. Just taking it from the top. Interesting blurb says, Izuku... I think people choose names just to make my tongue have paroxysms. Izuku. Uh, interesting blurb. Don't have much sense of the story yet. Vagabond blurb's good enough to evoke interest. Um, and Annie says, decent blurb. I uh, would like to know a little more about Ethan, though. Barbara, what's happened to the blurb format? Is that deliberate? No, it's it's kind of... It's, it's, it's distorted because you've got all kinds of carriage returns in there, actually. Um... Well, now, what else have we got there? Blurb is minimalist, says Dean, which I happen to like. Um, Annie, snappy writing. I like the first paragraph. It's info dumping. It is info dumping. But Annie says, info dumping done right. Um, Bagamon liking this decent pace here. Engaging, says Johnny James. Certainly some intriguing action happening. So generally positive stuff. Uh, really enjoying it, says Glenn. Vagabond, I want to know what happens to her. So job done. Yeah, Vagabond's invested. Love the writing starts as Zuku. Very engaging. Like Annie, I feel it was going on a tiny bit too long. And I guess that's the uh, general theme. You pique people's interest, but maybe it's going a little bit too long. Don't know about that. Let's see what Kaylee thought. I would agree with all of those comments. Um, with uh, Starting with the title, I don't love it because I don't really know what it means. It's a very kind of, it stands out, but I'm not sure it's giving us enough direction for what the story might be. Um, the blurb, I like Brief. I think it did it well. Mm. The only thing I would question is fate of, the, uh, fate of the entire world, and that's quite a big theme, isn't it? And I, I yeah, would question if you need yeah. to know a yeah. little bit more about that or... I don't know, it just feels like one of those big blockbuster yeah. you know, strap lines and maybe we need something a little bit more distinctive or This telling. is a Netflix movie, um, folks, yeah. Yeah, yes. Man against the world. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything about the pace. It, we're opening in a dramatic moment. We want to know what happens um, with this with this woman. I quite liked the line where it said she was wearing this you know, jacket that actually had ethan's name on it which we can hmm. immediately tie to the character in the blurb agree it went on a little bit too long there was a whole paragraph towards the end there which talked about the relentless um kind of snow and things like that being you know being against nature and i think we'd already got all of that from everything else so just edit it down yeah um, big prologue but it was yeah. done well 
I yeah, quite like it. it could be it could be chapter one actually. I don't know why you want to call it yeah. a prologue, yeah. Ryan. Yeah. So um, Jason has got a good comment just now on the Ginger Simmons. He says, "I love those lines about the wind and the weather. Uh, enjoyed uh, and the weather enjoyed tormenting its victims. It really got me into the way the character was thinking about this moment. And as far as I'm concerned, I just love the uh, the sastrugi." You'd often come across the Strugi. It happens to me, my favourite Italian dessert. Um, what did you think, Ben? First reaction. Yeah, so the title also, I, I didn't love it because it didn't really grab me or pull me into the book, which is not to say you can't use something like that, but I think if you're walking down a bookstore aisle or you're shopping on Amazon, that's the first point of contact. And I, I, uh, this, this book really reminded me of reading Dirk Pitt when I was younger, so I love oh, Dirk yeah. Pitt when it's like Inca Gold because I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I love the blurb. Having read Dirk Pitt, I thought it was great. It grabbed me. Um, it would have been a little, you know, it did seem grandiose at the end, but otherwise I loved it. Um, yes. You know, the write, the writing was great. Um, I, I think that I, I, it's always a good sign when I want to keep reading. Uh, that's how I kind of judge it overall. I did have a few things that threw me, like, I, I didn't know about that Italian dessert. So when I saw that word, I was like, what is this? Yes, um, and I'll I tell you think, what it is. It's just, it's just yeah. Peter Cox trying to be funny. I haven't heard, I haven't seen that word for such a long time. It's actually, I think yeah. it comes from a Russian word, and it's the shape of sand dunes and things like that, basically. It's, yeah. it's about, you know, yeah. obviously snow and stuff can be in that shape too. I wrote down a few words. They, they lost the tempo for me, which would worry me. Like, uh, I, I used to have Sunto watches. I'm not sure you need to say the model number hibernal uh that word alamo which i was not sure on the usage there because i don't i'm from texas so i don't think maybe that means alamo but i wasn't sure so there's yeah. a few of those that kind of threw me off the pace a little bit but otherwise i loved it wow and the vote you've given reflects that actually pretty impressive vote let's just see if kylie has got the vote going in there Sorry, have i you? have just i've hit vote yeah you've Sorry. hit vote all right let's just um <laughs> let's go back to the g oh my goodness me oh my goodness me yeah, we're starting in style here today, Ryan. Thank you very much. Um, generally good reaction from just about everyone, actually. As far as I, I can see, let's just talk about this, this, this thing that Annie raised, okay? Annie talked about the info dump, and that was the first paragraph. We just got a solid chunk of information, which you can kind of get away with in the first paragraph, because it's the first paragraph. People just read it. Had, had you hidden it, actually, Ryan, a page or two later, I'm not sure we would have reacted quite so strongly. How do you feel, both of you, about getting a huge chunk of information from the author right up front before we have even met anybody? What do you think about it? I love it because it sets the mood. Um, so it, it like kind of gets my brain and mood reset for what I'm about to read. Uh, so I like it when it's not the introduction straight into a character. I like it's kind of like fills out some of the background and I forget whatever else I'm doing and it kind of sinks me in. And then I meet you know, the character. I, I really like that part. Kelly? Uh it depends how it's done, doesn't it? Which I know is a very generic answer. In this case, I really like it because I think it adds authenticity. So it, it feels it's doing the job it should be doing in terms of structuring oh. what is happening and the kind of environment this person is in and kind of their experience and, you know, all of that. Sometimes, though, if it is 
being done more i don't know if the word is thematically throughout but it it's it's constant and we're hearing lots of jargon all the way mm. through that's when you're going to alienate people because if you know you still need to if people aren't really familiar with that material yeah. like we have to be able to connect to something don't we and yeah, we, yeah. we're not reading anything academic in in yeah. that way but thrillers are data heavy, generally speaking, aren't they? They, I mean, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons, kind of one of the many reasons we read them to sort of live someone else's life. And the telling characters that is pretty cool. Want to be in that world genuinely, mm. but not feeling like we can't understand or penetrate the information with yeah. it. The story has to shine through, I guess, is cool. All right, so we're basically saying nicely done, Ryan, and let's see if the numbers reflect that. They do. You've got a very creditable 68 there. Everyone, everyone likes it. I'm like Ben, I'm really weak on the title. I'll tell you one thing, um, Ryan, I think this is a book two title. I think you need a really strong title for your, your first book, your your breakthrough book, something that people are just going to remember. Hunt for Red October. What does that mean? That just, it just stick, you, can, you can still remember it. I mean, decades afterwards, you can still remember it. Starfish, it's, a, it's your second book once you've established your reputation. So if, if I was to criticise you on anything, it would be for that. But I think we're doing all right so far. <laughs> Here we go. Submission number two. Commercial thriller. Oh, I love commercial thrillers because we all make money out of it. Isn't that great? Thank you, Sharon, for sending it. There's Sharon's uh, uh, QR code for her website, I assume. Um, and it's called Behind the Mirror. Behind the Mirror. Let me read you Sharon's blurb. The truth is not what you see. It lies behind the mirror. You must search. Follow your intuition. Let luck in. To all those who say life is too short, who are watching their marriages crumble, stuck in dead-end jobs, bereft of passion and dreaming of sexual adventures, this is your story. People drawn in by a sense of place and the mysteries of character. When those whom we think we know do what we never imagined was possible. All right. Intrigued, are we? I wonder. Uh, let's tell everyone about Sharon. I've been a writer all my life, says Sharon. Scrubbling stories in Africa, where I grew up. Studying English literature at Edinburgh University. Oh, right, joined the club. Quite a few Elitopians did too. Travelling to far-flung places as a national newspaper journalist in various phases. Rescuing animals, writing about people's pain. And latterly, in showbiz. Well, obviously, you're on pop-up submissions. Showbiz, right? Oh, probably something else too. <laughs> uh, another kind of pain, says showbiz. Uh, this is my first novel, written in Venice. How oh, nice. Improbable city of dreams and who better then than to to read it than the Latopia's very own gondolier is Jack. Behind the Mirror by Sharon Feinstein read by Jeff A man's fate is in his character a colitis Prologue Venice March seventeen eighty nine the men adjusted their stance, lifting the coffin from the Porta de Agua down the huge stone steps. So small and light, draped in rich black and grey velvet cloth, the central gold crest in colours of the noble family. The servants positioned four tall, flickering candles at the corners of the funeral barge. The head boatman wanted to block his ears to the terrible howling from inside the huge palazzo, 
sounding more animal than human, crossing himself as they laid down the coffin. It was barely three months since the great doge, Paolo Renya, had died. And now here was his five-year-old granddaughter. The boatmen heaved their oars. Turning towards Rio Canareggio, Polish blades glinting in the late morning sun, wind in the right direction. Behind them were the girl's parents, hidden from view in the sombre black felze, followed by her siblings. The eldest boy, no more than ten. The gondole made their slow journey through the city, a dark procession of relatives, friends, priests and European nobles, meandering like an oil slick through Venice's canals. A deathly silence, despite the mass of people crowding round the fondamente, leaning out windows, filling the balconies. All of Venice had come to pay the respects to the Renier family and watch the tragic, unfolding spectacle. The loss of a child could have been any one of theirs, but in this instance they had been spared. As the small coffin moved past, men removed their hats and crossed themselves. Mothers covered their children's eyes, tossing white ladies and carnations. A city united in collective grief. The head boatman sighed. Never had he witnessed such tragedy. History was remade, and he was part of it. He and his men had spent hours cleaning the woodwork and polishing the brass to a high shine, knowing all eyes would be fixed on their vessel. Passing through the city's magnificent Palazzo Rosanico Grassi Vascari, snaking along the Canal Grande, turning sharply into Rio de Canareggio, then came the part they all dreaded. No way to avoid it, the huge, imposing Palazzo Candiano, straight ahead, more of a fortress than home. It needed to be, thought the boatman ruefully, imagining the terrible vengeance to come. The Reniers would never give up after this death. They would send the Caniados into oblivion with all the force of an unstoppable, raging storm. The child's death forever an albatross around the Candiano's necks. Everyone on board, and those who followed, turned their heads away from Palazzo Caniado as though it was cursed. The boatman tries not to look down at the tiny coffin, and yet he had the strange sense that Charles' hand was reaching out even in death. Perhaps it had been her last gesture as the dark, seething water dragged her along, snatching hopelessly at thin air, caught up in choking weed. They turned into Northern Lagoon, and already he could see a glimmer of the salt-white Istrian stone of San Michel Church. He gasped at its translucent beauty. A small group stood on the landing stage. Behind them, a thick crowd of mourners. The dark, imposing cypresses swayed in the wind, the slow, said peal of the church bells drifting across the lagoon. They manoeuvred the barge skillfully, barely a splash as it came to a halt, tying up the vessel, stepping aside as the Rignier servants lifted the coffin. At once the light changed across the lagoon, sky a wild crimson streaked with silver like slivers of ice, the sea a cold grey-green, a shape almost human, seemed to move across the water, coming from the deep, reaching up as if a gesture of hope. Tension had heightened his senses. He understood that, and yet he felt the cold chill of fear that it could be a miracle that God or nature may have sent up an image of the small girl. 
He turned when he heard the guards from the landing station, just in time to see Contessa Renier step out the Velze into the bright sunlight, lifting her black veil for a few moments as if to get her bearings. Thank you very much, Jeff Gray. Reading, I will have the Sastrugi, please. That sounds uh, quite tasty today. Um, let's see what the genius... Genii. Uh, plural of geniuses is in some dis- uh, doubt, actually. We don't quite know what it is. Um, it might be geniuses or it might be genius- genii. I think it's geniuses, actually, but the geniuses themselves can tell us. Uh, Taking it from the top, I think there's general confusion. That's probably the right thing to say um, about the blurb. Quite a lot of people... Um, yeah, there you go. Quite a lot of people uh, don't like it. Um, blurb makes me think self-help, says Azuku. Um, and yeah, I don't understand what the story is. Azuku uh, and Barbara says the US. This isn't a blurb, and he says blurb needs some work. Who is the protagonist? What's the story about? Um, and then moving on, uh, and he says, unless the book takes place in the 18th century, rethink having a prologue. Maybe add this as a flashback after hooking the reader. Vagabond says, we generally can imagine what a funeral looks like. What's different about this one? Very good point. And it says, sad as a small coffin is. I don't care. And that's right. We've got to be invested. Opening doesn't match the blurb, says James. Death? Funeral? Where's the sex? <laughs> that's what we want. We paid our money, haven't we? Um, and Jason says, I'm afraid the blurb was a little bit generic. I think that's been kind, actually. Um, it sounded like it could be chucked onto anything in which characters change. It doesn't tell me anything about the story at all and doesn't tempt me, just puzzles me. And Glenn says, not pulling me in yet. Want more information about how she died and, and so on. And then, yeah, you've got lots of great comments here, actually. Sharon, if you want to freeze frame it and just read everything, basically. And uh, a, a quick as a flash, they are geniuses. Azuka says, Merriam-Webster says, plural geniuses or genii. So we're both equally correct. What do you think there, Ben? Yeah, so I like the title from a general standpoint, but I am having trouble seeing how it connects to the book. Uh, but it did make me go, oh, that's interesting. What's that about? I instantly got like uh, tension, um, kind of some horror overtones which I'm not sure that was what you're going for, but it's a, it's a good title. Um, I, I thought the blurb was not great. I thought that it like broke the, almost like broke the third wall, as they say, um, where it, t- it spoke to the reader and not about the story, but as the author, it just, it didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, least. Um, and it did feel a lot like self-help. I, I felt like I was reading a yeah. nonfiction self-help book. Yeah, yeah, that was strange, wasn't it, really? Yeah, this is your story. Uh, very, very odd. Did you think that too, Kylie? The blurb, I think, as everyone has said, it did read more like a sales pitch. It was mm. as if I were trying to describe some themes of the story to someone else. So it needs to, you know, your blurb will connect all parts, won't it? So, I, And mm. I think this is where the disconnect is occurring as well, because I was really surprised when we jumped into the prologue and all of a sudden we were back in time the tone was so it was just not anything i was expecting you know the setting everything so but had that been teed up a little bit more in the blurb somehow i think that would have kind of guided me into the story oh sorry i've got off on a tangent Let's keep going or like no please yes we're lapping it up here you asked me one question and i've kept <laughs> going such good value sorry <laughs> sorry um, yeah, sorry, that's what I was going to say. I was quite surprised then when we got into um, the start of the story. 
Thank you, uh, Motormouth Kaylee. Right, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Good day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, catching up from the genius industry, lots and lots of uh, good stuff here. Um, is this a historical thriller, says Annie? Who's the main character, mm. says James? I'm a tiny little bit bored, says Vagabond. Vagabond also says something I completely agree with. It says author writing themselves in, maybe. And I think that's what it is. thing is... Uh, as far as Sainsbury's, what's Hannah talking about? <laughs> Supermarkets of plural titles. Tes- Tesco, yes. It's like Tesco's or Waitrose's. That's it. Genius, genii. Tesco or Waitrose. <laughs> We've got two Waitrose close to us. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'll just completely throw me now. Um, yeah, say something intelligent again, Kaylee, please. <laughs> Um, Yeah, just a couple more thoughts from me. Um, Yeah, I was quite surprised where I landed. There was a line where I thought that prologue got much more interesting. I'm not going to pronounce this word correctly, but the gondole, gondola? Yeah, gondole, I think, gondole. Gondole, there we go. Um, Made its slow journey through the city, a dark procession, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, we've gone from more kind of exposition and broad description to right down to some action. And that was where I was much more interested. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if if you were to keep this prologue, maybe consider starting somewhere around there. But... um, yeah. I'm making some wild assumptions about where this is going, but my interpretation of the title behind the mirror is that maybe someone is jumping forward and back in time. Oh, time slip. Oh, yeah, it could be. Maybe, could be. Yeah, yeah, or that everything that has happened then in some kind of family family tree is influencing, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, what's going on in the future. If I that is the case slip. and there is a time slip, hmm. um, if that is the case, this could be wild, I would start in the present day. Yeah, I think or that's right, and I, the other I think, yeah, and also Sharon, I mean, from my point of view, I think you are writing yourself in here, uh, which well, all writers do. That's fine, but you know, you've got to write that, and then you've got to throw it away, and then do it again. Um, the thing is that what we want from, especially if it's thriller genre. What I need you to do is showcase writing right from the beginning. Don't hide your light under a bushel. There's not time. You will be judged instantly on your first few pages you might be sending in a hundred thousand words to uh, an agent like me or a publisher or something like that but you will be judged on the first few pages especially if it's thriller and you know whatever your great trick is and every writer's got you know at least one fantastic trick just get it up there straight away no time to lose and you're not doing that at the moment which i i suspect why you've been mocked a, a bit low let's look at the numbers you got a 51 you got a 51 uh it's a bit of a curate's egg um Craft, you've been marked high on by just about everyone, and I think that's good. That's that's a good indication. But blurb, for example, I, I didn't give you a very very good uh, score on the blurb, and I don't think other people did either. So there you go. Hopefully, you found that interesting, Kelly, and uh, profitable personally. Yeah. Let us let's have a word with Ben. Second time Ben's been on. Um, we explored your inspiration for shepherd.com uh last time we spoke and now i want to dig into shepherd.com will you be my guest i mean will you be my uh, okay i don't mean guest i'm your guest all right here we go this is your home page it's still in beta when when when's it going to come out of beta yeah i want to have the base features in place so i think towards late this year or early next probably january Okay, that's great. So here we go. Discover the best books. And I've got to say, oh, 
just one one more time this is great this is great because that's this is one thing it doesn't matter if you're self-published or traditionally published or whatever or a, hoping to be published you've got to get discovered guys if you're an author you've got to get discovered and the amazon recommendation engine doesn't work for me don't know if it works for you does it work for you ben uh, no, that's partially why I started this because they've been pushing more to ads. Yes, exactly. That's that's what they do do, and in a way, I mean, let's see if this this is true. Let's see if uh, in in the next minute or two, as we take a journey into Shepherd.com, this actually works out. But my my suspicion is it it kind of doesn't matter about the technology. That is essentially it's still books are still uh, bought and sold on the basis of personal recommendation. If you if you recommend something to me personally, I'm much more likely to take it seriously. Do you think that's true? Yeah, okay. absolutely yeah let's dive in so yeah I, th I think that's right so discover the best books okay so i i can browse i can browse by wikipedia topic was interesting or by my favorite book or author and under underneath that and i might do that in a moment actually because i've just finished reading a lot of dorothy l sayers so it might be interesting to punch that in but we got new book lists here what's that uh, so we, you know, the one format we have right now is we ask authors to recommend five books that they're passionate about, and we oh. focus them on a topic, theme, or mood. So it's them sharing their favorites on something they love um, and why that's their favorite. Oh, cool. So these are not just random readers. These are authors. Yeah, the, the only recommendations we have in the site are from authors. Now, that's very interesting. So if I've just finished reading a book by an author I've discovered and like a lot, I can now come to your website and see what books they want to push me to. Yeah. Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. So we've got book lists there. Now we've got bookshelves. What are bookshelves? So bookshelves, we use uh, some machine learning technology to try to analyze the books being selected by authors, and we put them in different kind of topic silos. So it's where you can go and browse books that touch upon World War II, China, grief, dragons, knights. And it's a way to try to introduce more discoverability oh, cool. and search into the process. Um, so it's, it's, we're trying to get away from the silo model. It's where a book can touch upon five topics. A book list can be in five topics. It's more about letting them follow their curiosity through the site. That's fantastic. Let's just, uh, let's just cut back for a quick uh, definition. The silo model, can you explain? Yeah, I'm very frustrated with uh, Amazon, and most bookstores do this, but they, they put books in a top 100 silo, and the, the system is also so incentivized, it's gamified a lot. So I get tired of seeing only these so-called top books. They're usually very established authors. Um, it's just very hard to go very deep into a subject, so I want to try to fix the long tail, because the, the whole promise of the internet was that it would help us discover things that we can't discover. And instead, it's gone to only the first 100 books within these very small topics. So I'm yes. trying to get away from that. That's fantastic. I think that sounds brilliant. Um, if I want to, let me say, let me, I mean, this is really dangerous doing this live on air. Okay. But this, this we like to you, be dangerous. You got to do you got to pick okay. favorite book or author at the top. Okay. Yeah, you got to do the author okay. selection at the okay. top. Yeah, this is this is an early version of search. We're about fourteen months old, so. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's do, let's do that. There we go. Favorite yeah. book or author. Favorite. Oh, look, there we go. Don't want to see outsiders. How oh, cool. Uh, if, I, if you love this author, we recommend the following. We've got bookshelves there. I've got best book list. Oh, I mean, I, I I'm going to be happy for hours. Private investigators yeah, living death. Yeah. Best 1930s books featuring women who did it their way. All right, let's have a look at that. How very cool. So 
So this is wow. the recommender. Show, yes. Shows her off, her book off, and then it shows the five books she picked. So it's a way for authors to get close to readers who would be interested in their book because um, it's paired with one of their books. And so it's it. a way for new authors to get, you know, introduced to it with help. We got a highly technical question there from Izuku. Ben, what stack did you use for this site? Nice. Yeah. So um, we are using Python and Django, um, and it's all custom. We're not doing WordPress or anything else because we do a lot of uh, NLP and machine learning if you want to get super technical. <laughs> yeah. And I'm personally using Sistrugi at the moment. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. This is this is very very cool. I've just got let me. I think you've possibly half answered what I was going to ask. Okay, but right. So, how did you uh, sort of make that that association there? Because I let me just go back to this. All right. So, I've I've chosen that. But I, I typed in Dorothy Alsayers, and somehow you got me from Dorothy Dorothy Alsayers thematically to the best 1930s books featuring women who did it their way, which is thematically very close. How did you do that? Yeah, so the easiest way is if that, that you know, Brianna here, if she selected that book as one of her five, because then we have a direct relationship. Right. Um, so yeah. after we go through the direct relationships of if they directly related that book, because that's obviously a very strong vote, is hmm. then what we have analyzed is what the book or author you're looking about are looking for rights about and then we look at other books that have those type of topics so if you're looking at an author who is doing thrillers and you know nuclear weapons and you know war we're going to look on the back and look for other book lists and bookshelves about those type of topics and we have a system on the on the back that tries to prioritize those um, we're always improving it. Like right now, we don't even take into account genre fiction. That'll come later this year or age. Yeah. Um, we have to build that in. That's a big project. I love it. I love it. I think it's inspired, actually. I think it's really inspired. Uh, what else can, can we do here? Let's have a quick look here. Oh, I'm taking the wrong place again, as always. Um, ooh, that's the what? random button. I, I got a random button. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. well, that's totally me yeah. as well. Dark and twisty fantasy books. <laughs> fantastic. So we can browse the best books for authors. This is pretty cool. For, and I, I, I think I mentioned this last time, but I just think it's so cool that you're, you're doing everything in public here. It's not, you know, we'll just operate behind the scenes in the darkness and we're not going to tell you anything because it's your job just to be a consumer i mean you'll be quite open about development and everything which i think is just it's refreshing it's like a breath of fresh air actually what about for authors all right so uh, lots of, of authors watch pop-up submissions how can they benefit from this yeah um so right now we only we work with authors who have a published book out because that's where you pair the list with yeah um but once you have a book out you know you, we would love to work with you on something like this um for authors kind of goes into details it shares some sales data that we've seen um it talks about upcoming features we're going to come out with new formats next year as well um, to help people sell books not only through sharing books they love but through things like interesting facts and um, introducing characters to readers that they might yeah. like through similarities to others. So oh, it, wow. it goes into a lot of details on why what we're trying to build and why it helps sell books. Yeah, and I can tell just from the way you talk, this is not just a sort of business opportunity for you. You actually really do love books, don't you? Yeah, oh, and I'm yeah. building this because I'm frustrated with finding books because uh, I really yeah. was struggling with it, um, but now yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I don't understand that, that question, but I'm going to relay it. And I from Zuku. He trained a machine. Yeah. But the question is, was the machine supervised or does this get better with age? I don't know. I can't answer that it, at all. It does. It does. Yeah, right, it will it get does. better with age. Yeah. We, okay. it is, it's not self-learning right now, but it will eventually start it's going to be. We'll try to build out models for fiction yeah. and non-fiction. Yeah. That's very cool. Just don't mount a machine gun on top of it. That's all. Can users reinforce the... She, uh, my, uh, my goodness me, you're getting uh, enormous amounts of feedback from Zuku. Can users reinforce the algorithm? I, I assume no, that you know I, what that not means. Yet. Not yet. Yeah, only, only me as a user. Um, it's still, right. you know, we're having to be very focused on growing the site's traffic to yeah. create more book sales. So we don't have any extensions there so that readers can input data as well. But eventually, wow. hopefully. Wow. Well, you, you stood up to that fantastic a live demo there, guys. Still in beta. You hear it first on Power Submissions. Thank you so much, Ben. Fantastic. Very cool, says Zuku. Very cool. Love it. And I think we all do too. I don't want that noise was. It didn't sound very healthy. I think that's the Struggy at work, I think. This is submission number three. It's the Hawk Wasp, and it's from Rob, and it's a psychological thriller. This is Rob's blurb. Brady is no ordinary private investigator. He has a classified past and a very dangerous future. He's a PI, much in demand. London's Met Police want to hire him. An ancient clandestine society want to recruit him, and several people want him dead. When he begins the hunt for a deranged serial killer who leaves sinister hawk wasp cards on his victims, he risks his own life for a chance of redemption. This is very interesting about Rob. Um, I was inspired after I woke up in the ICU intensive care unit of the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead here in London a few years ago with no memory of the last few days. Hmm. I'm a runner, reader, writer and chess player who loves great drama in any form. I'm very interested in how the mind works and particularly the effect of PTSD. The research of which formed the basis for this novel. How interesting, even more interesting, not to say fascinating, will be this reading for you from Barbara. The Hawk Wasp by Rob Duffy, read by Barbara. The tarantula hawk wasp has one of the most powerful stings in the insect world. The Schmidt Sting Pain Index stated to be blinding, fierce and shockingly electric. Chapter 1 Brady stood motionless on a dark, deserted street. All was silent as the shadows of bare trees reached into the cemetery beyond like skeletal hands. A fox slipped between parked cars further up the street, then stopped. His head turned towards Brady, as if he knew he was there. Brady watched as the animal stole down the street, vanishing into an alley. The creak of an old door and the clink of keys snapped Brady's head back towards the gates, wincing as he did so. Someone was shuffling towards them from within. He put his hands to the bandage around his head, gently probing the area where blood was seeping through, then resting his palm against it in an attempt to ease the pain. The shuffling stopped. A torch flashed twice. He slipped across the road where a short man with a flat cap and a huge paunch briefly lit Brady's face, then turned a squeaking lock and opened one of the large, imperious gates that stood like a portal to another world. Brady walked through, 
placed a hand on the man's shoulder and was about to speak when the man shook his head and looked up, the stubble on his jowls catching the light from the street. You take care, Brady, he said before locking the gate. Brady walked on, the gravel crunching underfoot as each step took him further into the darkness that covered the cemetery like a shroud, leaving only outlines and wisps of possibility. He crested the first hill, breathing heavily, his head pounding as he passed all the graves where the names and dates were imperceptible even in daylight. He stopped, his hand against a tree. Above him, a breeze ran through its branches as if whispering the secrets of the dead. He took a deep breath and set off past a row of small tombs, mausoleums, some so old and decrepit, the rotten doors exposed the coffins within. His gait slowed as he entered a canopy of trees where the darkness was absolute. There was a sudden movement in the bushes to his right. Brady dropped into a crouch with a grimace, his Beretta pistol in his hand, unable to see anything. He listened hard. The rustling stopped. Total silence. He waited, poised. The movement shuffled away, an animal searching for food. Brady sheathed his gun and continued on. After the canopy, the graves were more modern, with photographs to show who the deceased were in life, alongside teddy bears, football tops and burnt-down candles, none of which he could see. He ran his hand over the third plot from the end as he walked past. There was no photo or keepsake on it, but he knew it would be well kept. He conquered the final hill, smelling the earthly remnants of a recent bonfire as he headed towards the huge, ancient oak that dominated the skyline. He was breathing hard as he reached the summit and put a hand on the gnarly bark of the trunk, looking out across the city of London as he recovered his breath. When he could put it off no longer, Brady climbed carefully down the steep slope below the enormous branches, feeling his way over familiar footings. He stopped on a narrow patch of level ground by one of many box hedges on the hill, staring down at its mass of tiny leaves, hearing his own frantic voice echoing through time. He stood with a fresh breeze grabbing his jacket until something in the distance caught his eye. The first tendrils of dawn were spreading across the city, and within a few moments a hint of light reached the slope. Brady crouched down and pushed back the hedge to reveal a small gravestone, placed flat into the earth. His blood-stained fingers traced an inscription in inch-high lettering that simply read S.B. Where did you go? he said. A moment passed. The whisper of the wind in the trees brought no answer. Why did I leave you? Phenomenal reading from Barbara. Thank you. A number of people have said that in that genius room. Really great reading. Um, this sounds full of tropes, says Dean, but I'll keep an open mind. And that was the, on the basis of the, uh, the blurb. Uh, you lost me a Met Police there. Suddenly sounded less over-the-top dangerous, says Vagabond. First two lines can be axed, said Annie. And Hannah is the first of several people to pick up on face licking. Um, <laughs> and it says, uh, here we go, sorry, uh, I should have put the genius room up there. Uh, licked his face, is this a dream, says Hannah. I'm not on Brady's head yet, says Annie. James says, who licked his face, what? And Vagabond says uh, words that I'm constantly quoting. Less words, more meaning would be nice, a bit wordy. Mm. Dean says, and it's this is echoed by several other people, I reckon Brady's a dog. And it's possible, actually, it's just possible. Atmospheric, but unsure what's happening, says Johnny, Barbara, Orthony's 
were just the W's. Who, what, why, where, when? I didn't get enough of anything. I didn't see where this might go. And that's our narrator. So it's well worth listening to what Barbara says. Um, fantastic reading from Barbara Zanny. Um, good reading, Vagabond, but it's not engaging me. And Annie says, I hope this is a prologue because it won't hurt to cut it out. If not, rethink where you're starting. Decent Craft says, Johnny, but confused. Mm, what did you think, Kylie? I am confused by it because I, I just, I don't know what's happening. That's pretty much, you know, my backstop with this one. Yeah. There is, there is some real, there's some really interesting points. I do like the title that stood out to me and I my do. instinct was, I wrote down, I like the title. Yeah. Um, whether it's the kind of the Hawk Horse Killer, I'm not sure, just to give it a little bit more signaling, that but that might be mm. great. Good. Glad mm. there is consensus. I didn't want to say anything crazy. Um, mm. Yeah, that I just feel. But hawk wasp, I like that, and that stood out to me in your blurb as well. I think that feels mm. a little bit different and interesting. Um, but in terms of where we start, I like that we're in a graveyard. I like that whoever Brady is is looking for something. I thought the moment where the uh, security guard kind of patted his shoulder and said, "Take care of yourself," that was really sweet. Those were some nice points, but how it's kind of presented to us, it feels way too drawn out. And is it still the right place to start? I'm really on the fence because I just don't know what it means or I feel like I need a little bit more direction within it. So for an opening, that would kind of be my feeling. But some nice bits there. And if it's a scene, Mm. I like it. I don't think we should lose it. But, you know, when you're dealing with tombstones and graveyards and climbing hills yeah. and it's not totally it's, grabbing me by the throat and i suspect it's yeah. not grabbing everyone yet what did, what did what do you think mm. ben? um i like kylie's adjustment to the title because i i i just thought it needed something else it wasn't quite there hmm. um i thought the i thought the blurb had all the pieces but they were in the wrong order like there's something there but it was i wanted yeah. like that to go up and like yeah um and then i obviously uh, uh, they can write, um, but I, I also was just writing down, you know, why here, uh, you know, why a gun, why are they so tense, you know, um, let's see, uh, why are they hurt, and, and, and then I just got a little bored um, as we got into it, and it was hard for me to see the, any, you know, the commercial appeal because it was slow yeah. and it didn't seem to, why why this scene? Um, it just it, it, yeah. That's the general reaction, I think, in the genius from Vagabond has just said, said that nothing made me care, though, and I need that. We do, we need to be invested, yeah. And Azuka said, so, scenery gave me HP. Yeah, it is a little bit HP Lovecraft, but it's got to be stronger, really. you just got to turn that dial up a bit, Rob. Um, more intense. You're writing a psychological thriller, so, you know, grab us, grab us straight away. Um, and Azuku, oh, that's just... Yeah, I'm just a bit late picking that up. All right, let's look at the numbers. You got a 54 so far that can go up or down as the uh, genie make their minds up it's not a bad score but we just we just we need more intensity i just want more intense actually you know rob um if you're just writing genre stuff that maybe is going to be self-published it might be okay if you're trying to get over a higher hurdle actually which is generally higher which is agents and the uh, publishing business you've just got it you've got to do your best thing put it right up front as i, as I was saying earlier and just make it make it intense suck us in make us an offer we cannot refuse you know how the the best thriller uh, writers do it you just start reading page one you go oh, that's interesting just keep turning so you you you, you can't so it's not a slow ramp it's got you know it's a, it's a quick it's a it's a quick launch it's a quick 
reader engagement or, or it's not going to work. Um, good. All right. We have, I think, two more. And here we are, submission number four of the day. Sasha's not here. There's a screamer there. Now, look, I personally like exclamation marks, but I'm in the minority. A lot of agents, a lot of publishers, even in this day and age, don't like them. I think it's a little bit close-minded, but, yeah, who am I? I came from an advertising background, and a lot of publishers still don't like that. So I'm just pointing that out, but I'm not going to mark you down on that. This is a psychological thriller. It's from S.E. Stenner, and this is your blurb. Sasha's not here. A mind-twisting tale where the prey can so easily become the predator. When Mitchell, a deeply troubled teen, kidnaps his fellow schoolmate, Sasha, he believes he's doing it for the right reason. Love. <laughs> Strange kind of love. He's planned out everything meticulously, but there's one thing he didn't factor in. And that's that Sasha has a deeply troubling secret of her own, which not only throws a spanner in the works of Mitchell's plan, but thrusts a sledgehammer through it. Okay. I'll tell you about SE. I've been writing for over 18 years. Mainly short stories, children's fiction and poetry. However, Sasha's Not Here is my first full-length work. I previously had a short story published in Hampshire's View magazine and several poems printed in educational anthology textbooks. That's very nice. And what's going to be better than nice, uh, in fact, intense, I think, will be this reading from our very own John. Sasha is Not Here by S.E. Stenner Read by John Chapter 1 Confusion Friendship, it's a well-known concept. When two people form an attachment because they not only like, but have mutual admiration for one another, it can create a bond which lasts for years, sometimes even decades. The basis of the kinship can come from anywhere. They might share common beliefs, perhaps a societal background, or even the same taste in cheese. Whatever originally binds two people doesn't matter as much as what keeps them together. A respective fondness, a deep reverence for one another, and of course, unyielding loyalty. So it is indeed a fascinating concept when two separate lives stay entangled one with the other and choose to keep coming together again and again. But what if one person likes the other more, maybe even too much, to the point of all-consuming obsession? Well then that delicate dynamic of the relationship soon shifts and becomes something else entirely, perhaps even something sinister. Yes, friendship is a well-known and familiar concept, but the deep, dark abyss of human obsession is anything but. Most little girls love to sing, others like gymnastics, and some can't get enough of swimming. But Sasha was different. What she loved was to act, and she couldn't remember a time when she didn't. It was the draw of the theatre which captured her imagination the most. The adrenaline pumping through her system as she stepped on stage, and the thrill as the spotlight illuminated her form as a hundred pairs of eyes fell upon her. But it was the challenge of assuming a different character which really captivated her. From their traits and mannerisms, to their gait and even their voice, it gave her a buzz like no other. There was just something extremely satisfying about shaping a new persona from nothing drawing aspects together to build a unique entity which had not existed before and overlaying it perfectly, masking her own self from view, all to tell a story. Sasha had become extremely skilled at crafting together a character's personality and demeanour, to the point when an audience looked at her, all they could see was the fictitious mystique and nothing else while being completely immersed within the plot. 
Yes, it was truly the mark of any good actor to become the person they portrayed, at least for a short time. Her skills at assuming different personas were perfectly honed now, but hadn't always been so. Once she'd floundered as badly as any other person who was a novice at treading the boards, but like so many others, she'd been drawn to the stage at a young age, giving her ample time to perfect her craft. Her acting debut had been at the tender age of six, when her elementary school teacher, Mrs Smalls, a portly middle-aged woman with a crop of wild blonde hair and a jovial demeanour, had gifted her with a role which was central to the plot of the Christmas performance. Mrs Smalls had trussed Sasha up in a white coat covered in styrofoam balls which had been lovingly glued together by her fellow first graders, and the costume came complete with a papier-mâché headpiece for her to play the important role of the snowman in the school play. Sasha remembered it vividly, because the costume had been cumbersome and binding, constricting her movements, whereas the headpiece had been heavy and hot and made it hard for her to breathe, which is exactly how she felt right now. Sasha's breath built up in plumes around her, making her face feel hot and her skin uncomfortably damp and sweaty. Drowsily blinking through humid air, she stirred, trying to focus her sluggish eyes on something, anything in front of her, but all she could see was a fuzzy blackness. Minuscule shards of light were trying to penetrate the fabric covering her face, but even these were too weak to help illuminate more than just a few pinpricks in the cloth surround. The item in question, which had been pulled roughly over her head, felt like a sack of some sort made of a coarse material. The harsh fibres scratched and itched at the soft skin around her neck, where the item had been tightened to keep it in place. Thank you very much, Johnny. Excellent work, as always. Total pro. Um, let's look at the genius room, and as I suspected, there's quite a lot of pushback actually, SE, um, against your screamers. Quite a lot of people don't like all those screamers, and um, in fact, they are they are doing this. Well, they're not mocking exactly, but they are actually doing a lot of uh, screaming, should we say, scream use in the in the genius room. And uh, Jason sums it up really. He says, "Oh my goodness, too many exclamation points in the blurbs. It sounds like you're a ten-year-old, way too excited about the possibility of cake for dinner." And uh, Jason says, "Title is good though. Several people uh, like that. Um, I think Annie likes it too." Um, and Hannah says, "Okay, not YA. This isn't a YA voice. Some discussion over that." Johnny says, this was easy to read once I reformatted it, it flowed. Um, and Hannah uh, picks on the other big point, actually, that people are, uh, have, you know, zoomed in on really like a guided missile. This is very tell rather than show start. In this case, it's distancing me. And Jason says, yeah, there's a lot of ex expostulation here. Expostulation. And uh, Izuku, yeah, go back to show, show, don't tell. This will be much better in scene. Yeah, part of me wonders if this is starting in the right place. I'm not too interested in Sasha's thoughts, says Annie, on acting. I prefer to start with the protagonist. Where is this going, says Barbara. And uh, Johnny, bang when it comes, hits, but it takes a while to get there, says Johnny. And Glenn, I thought it was about a kidnapping. Let's start with that. He can go through all this stuff later. The thing is, he's not really going through it, is it? It's our author. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I, I like the title. I thought with the right cover image, it works. Um, you know, if it's not the right one, it might not work as well, but I thought it was great for a psychological thriller. Yeah, it um, is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I liked, uh, I liked the blurb. Um, I didn't like the last sentence, um, but the rest of it I thought was solid uh, for a psychological thriller. Um, and then I, I just, I, I 
for a psychological thriller, it didn't grab me and it felt very slow. Um, and I, yeah. I wrote down a few times, you know, why is it still talking about acting? I, you know, I think she was in high school. So if she's so, you know, that's a very early stage to be good at this good at acting. And then I just kept hitting that. And then um, I wasn't sure where this story about when she was six was going. It definitely had tension. And I, I like that because it kind of maybe forecasts, you know, what's coming, but it, it did seem long and it, it just didn't grab me for, um, yeah. which I would expect with a thriller. Yeah, well, yeah that, um, absolutely. That's that's what a thriller does, basically. Uh, Kaylee. Yeah, well, I thought I really... Sorry, I'll start again. I like the title. I liked yeah. the exclamation mark with the title. And then as we got into uh, the thing, I realised actually just a bit fond of the old exclamation mark. But he I is. To keep it in or the she, title yeah, that, Essie is definitely oh, very sorry, fond of that. Oh, sorry, or she, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, Essie, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, for the title, quite liked it as a device. And yeah. that is definitely something I would pick up off shelf. And the blurb, there were a few lines like mind twisting tail and the bit at the end that said something about a sledgehammer. But everything yeah. else to me was a great setup. And I would 100% pick up the book based on that. Oh. So that's all great. Um, when, as we got into it, the first part about friendship and obsession. Hmm. I like it because it's setting up or it's fore foreshadowing the dynamic between this kind of people, the person who's going to kidnap Sasha. We assume they're friends in high school, but he's got an obsession that's taking it further. But I don't know if it really needs to be there. I think that can be implied or explained in other ways. For all the rest of it, I would agree about Sasha and her acting. I think if we flipped the viewpoint here, maybe a little bit, so it's actually... Um, I'm saying the kidnapper, whoever that will be, is yeah. watching her and he's making all of these observations. And maybe you go a little bit more into that. You know, he knows weird things about her that only someone who is obsessed over her could really know. You could know. be very creative with that, actually, couldn't you? Yeah. 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 You know, what what she ate for dinner, what she ate for lunch, when does she go to the toilet? Just things yeah. like that. I think that were or how she moves her body. Or I think those things would really tell us and give us more as a reader so that mm. would be my feedback good all right i i think you're absolutely right genius room is very much on your side um jason says whenever i see these uh subtitles that something is unputdownable <laughs> i just put it mm, straight down um and sarah says i want to be with sasha rather than be told about and this is the thing actually mm. yes you probably heard you know in this old adage it's all over the internet you know show don't tell show don't tell show don't tell it's not a cast iron rule you can break it creatively uh, best-selling writers break it all the time you've got to but in your case all you're doing is telling 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 and it's not very dramatic because of that if you don't know the difference in those two things you've got to it's one of your basic tools as a writer you've got to understand the the fundamental difference between showing and telling you do that then i think your writing will increase by an order of magnitude we got a 59 nevertheless for you there which is a pretty good score i hope you're pleased with it one more submission oh actually i tell you what Alexa, let's look at the scorecard before our last submission of the day. It's a great pleasure, Rob. I'm thinking maybe that was SE, actually. I don't know. We just exposed your pseudonym there, possibly. Uh, it's all very tight today, actually, isn't it? But our first submission of the day by Ryan, 68 Starfish, that is leading quite substantially. But we don't know. We don't know, because we have one final submission, as you can see on the list here. It's our last submission, not just of this show, but of the month, actually. And it's Prey 
by Ryan. And let's go for it, shall we? Prey, one word title. Sorry, Prey by Doc, of course, Doc Varga. What am I talking about? Prey by Doc Varga. Psychological thriller. And this isn't the first submission we've had from Doc, is it? I think it might be the third, actually. Quite familiar with, with your name, actually, Doc. Yeah. This is Doc's blurb. Dr. Rebecca Ansley provides mandatory counselling for assisted suicide patients at Life for Humanity, an organisation allowed to conduct medical research on those who meet the state criteria to die. Hmm. Big concept. But something is different about Rebecca's newest patient, a young man named Derek. Not only does he prove a match for her highly controlled, occasionally manipulative counselling sessions, but has a dark connection to Rebecca's long-buried past. I am a professional composer, songwriter and scriptwriter whose work has appeared on national TV channels, says Doc, and won entry into film festivals. A novella form of prey was selected for After Dinner Conversations annual anthology and nominated for a pushcart. That's fabulous. As is this reading. Oh, yes, it's from Mel. Prey, written by Doc Varga, read by Mel. My car purred as it drove itself forward, creeping toward the chanting ranks of people and their placards. A drowsy cop motioned my car through the barricade as other officers stood at alert and kept the crowd parted. The picketers screamed with usual insults at me as my car inched through them. Murderer, bitch, slut, and worse. With the privacy shields up, they couldn't see me. I guess they assumed I was a woman because I drove a tiny coupe. A sexist but correct inference. Not that it mattered. I could have been any employee. A janitor, a nurse, an office junior. But they didn't care. They just wanted to make me hurt. A scruffy young man with straggly blonde hair and a placard broke the police barricade. He threw his sign against my windshield and the car lurched to a halt, its collision detection screen flashing and beeping loudly. My body jerked against the safety belt. Justice for Jared, the sign screamed in daubed red letters before the cops dragged it and its bearer away. Alliteration. How clever. My car crawled the last half mile to the Life for Humanity's twin buildings in the heart of the city. I locked my eyes on them to refocus on my job. Connected by a thin walkway on the 14th floor, the silver metallic buildings added a low-set H to the Philadelphia skyline. While not tall enough to be visible from all angles, they were among the most recognizable structures in the States. Though how people felt about them varied wildly, I found them magnificent. The masses blocking my entry, not so much. Once I was safe inside the half-filled parking garage, my car pulled into my reserved space, third after only my director and the receptionist, Teresa, who used a wheelchair. I gathered my belongings and stepped out into the cold November air. I could still hear their chants, whispering in my ear like an unwelcome stranger standing too close behind me. I rubbed my ears and twisted my neck to shrug the jitters off until I got in the elevator and took it to the lobby. The LFH main lobby conveyed the calmness and tranquility of a spa with a dash of lemon-scented cleaner. Tall vaulted ceilings made of glass stretched above the open lobby, giving views of the neighboring skyscrapers. Polished floors captured a sharp reflection of the room in stunning clarity. 
In the center, a black marble fountain spewed water half a dozen feet into the air. Its mist tickled my skin as I walked by. To my right, businessmen huddled in waiting areas, likely strategizing their pitch for a new research program. One smiled at me, but I ignored him. One accidental acknowledgement and he'd be asking me for advice. I didn't care about their programs, and I certainly didn't have time for them. Soon I would meet Save 200, a feat no one thought was possible until I shattered the previous record in the early fall. I should have been happy, or excited, or at least planning what to do after my inevitable victory. But intrusive thoughts lingered on Save 199, a former top dog CEO of a Fortune 500. During our first session, he raged and railed against the world. By the second session, he stared at me with wide eyes that pleaded for hope like a puppy begging for treats. I'd somehow found a way to give him that hope. But I remembered the stench on him when he first came in, a man who had not bathed or changed clothes in who knew how long. Even when he did clean up halfway through our sessions, I could still smell the decay. And when he left for the last time, a waft of it clung to the floor. It reminded me of a scent from long ago that curled my stomach. That's why I couldn't shake it. That's why it followed me. I approached a long angular desk made of white marble that stretched nearly 20 feet, though there were only two receptionists. I made a left and headed to security. Morning, Kingsley, I said to the security guard, hunched on his stool next to the metal detector. Thank you very much. I was totally following that. Actually, let's go straight to Ben to see what he thought. Yeah, just got in. Um, so uh, I like the title a lot, but the only thing I worry is um, I think there is a similar title coming out on Hulu um, that could yeah. really wreck that. So I would I would probably go with Easy Prey or something like that. But I thought it was solid. But it needs a little little thought there to do something with it i thought the blurb was fantastic uh drew mm. me in and for this genre i thought it hit all the points um so i really like that and then i really love the opening scene um i thought it was fantastic the writing was good um and so on i, I think what kind of it, it's a lot of the scenes after that they stretched on too far like i love the line about walking into the reception and the smell and that was yeah. great, but then it had two more lines about it that I didn't didn't seem to do anything, and that that happened a few more times. But there's definitely something here, and I I liked it. Yes, yeah, I I, I can't disagree with anything there. Genius Stream is uh, pretty much on side as well. What did you think, Kylie? I thought it was brilliant. This is I everything about it. I would agree with the title um, and pray. I don't know. Single words are tough, aren't they? Because they have to do a yeah. lot. But yeah. so I think that that all makes sense. There were some really nice things in there where uh, I love starting with the placards because that tells us or shows us so much up front. And very it was contemporary. Yeah. Very, yeah, I think yeah. that's brilliant. And there was a few really clever lines like alliteration, how clever. And that, that tells us so much about her character, this kind of almost lack of empathy. And there's obviously a kind of yeah. moral challenge going on. Um, and that kind of continued throughout, you know, her car parking space that's third only to, you know, the CEO and his receptionist who's disabled. It's very clever signaling. I liked all of that. And I have to say, I would love to read the rest of this. Good. All right. Yeah, fantastic. Short, sweet, and I think the genius and pretty much is, uh, agrees with you on that. Let's look at the. Um, have you? Um, sorry. Have you got the numbers in there, Kaylee? 
Oh, I've yes. submitted my numbers. You yes. have done, yes. And my word, look at that bang! I mean, you can't you can't do better than that, Doc. You've got one hundred there uh, for commercial potential. And let's just look at Ben's numbers there. And you've you don't you don't you don't agree with the commercial potential on that. You think it's it's somewhat less than uh, than than Kelly's. Why is that? I think it just needed a little bit of work on that opening to not stretch it out so long. I think if you I think you could cut like half of those secondary paragraphs and still get everything that you wanted about her character into that. And so I think when you do that, that would that would help a lot to make it more sellable and commercial focused. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Let's look at the numbers now. They're all in. You got a 78. Wow. 74. Sorry, I'm thinking I'm thinking aloud here um, because 78 is the score you've got to beat. And Doc, you've come tantalizingly close. You've got a 74. That actually means, of course, that you are. Yes. You're a show winner. Congratulations, Doc. Well done. Looks like we saved the best to last, but doesn't make any difference to the stonkingly good score of two, three weeks ago, actually. Simon the girl, it's it's hosting a funeral of intergalactic proportions in Corona, New Mexico. I remember that really well. Lots of other people felt very strong about it. And you got a 78, which means that you are actually our monthly winner. well-deserved monthly win there we will be in touch with you and see what we can do about moving that project forward hopefully um you know uh, you haven't sold it yet actually because if you have then it's too bad but if you haven't then we will definitely push it to our publishing partner which is head of zeus fingers crossed on that meanwhile i want to say thank you so much to to ben ben fox shepherd.com it's a great idea. He told us a bit more about it today. And of course, Kaylee, who's always such, such a great guest here. Thank you, everyone else behind the scenes. You know exactly who you are. Why don't we do it all over again? Same time next week. Hit it!